Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm here with Meg. So Meg, who is the woman in energy science that we are talking to today? We are speaking with Yi Yang Zhang, the Associate Director of the Great Lakes Bioenergy Research Center, about her experiences in the hydropower industry and now academic research, and her advice for being a successful leader using self-confidence and mentorship. Welcome to Propelling Women in Power, a podcast about the careers of women in energy at the Wisconsin Energy Institute on the UW-Madison campus and our sister institution, the Great Lakes Bioenergy Research Center. I am Meg Riker, and I am a junior undergraduate student studying civil engineering. I am a science writer intern with a passion for meeting people from different scientific disciplines and sharing their stories. And I'm Michelle Chung, a senior undergraduate student studying biology and environmental studies. I love finding fun ways to highlight the research and people here at WEI and GLBRC. Here, we talk about women scientists and engineers' career paths, the obstacles they have faced, and most importantly, their advice for young women scientists and engineers. It is our goal to highlight their individual experiences, mentors, and work-life balance while seeking advice for young women in science and asking the question, who and what facilitated your success? So Meg, it's been a couple days since the interview. What would you say your main takeaways were? So to start off, um, what I really took away from our conversation was the importance of mentorship, being involved um, in some sort of professional society or mentorship program to get you in contact with people who are involved in your industry or your field. And then also the importance of having your own internal self-confidence and telling yourself you can do it um, and you can succeed in the challenges that are presented to you in your career, uh, whether you're a woman or not. So this kind of applies to a whole range. And then she, she narrowed it down to women needing to have that self-confidence to increase the representation in their field. So let's hear what Yi Ying has to say. My name is Yi Ying Shang. I grew up in China. I came to the United States for graduate study, as many international students do here. I came here in 2001 and never left. Love living here. Um, I started with the GOBRC in January of 2021. So I've been here for just a little bit over a year. Um, my role here is associate director but I really look at this as kind of being a mother, sister, friend to everybody here. So my role is to make sure that the GOBRC family as a whole is happy and things are moving smoothly. My, um, my job here day to day is to help people figure out how to make sure the family is running fine. People are happy with each other and they're all successful in what they do and the GOBRC is successful as a family. You said you came to the United States um, to do your master's degree, correct? Yes. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what you studied to begin with, maybe for your bachelor's degree? Yeah, so I actually, my bachelor's degree was hydropower engineering. Um, I started with that major because I grew up near Yancey River, near the largest dam in the world, is the Three Gorges Dam. So that was really the one thing that I knew kind of growing up and knew was great for the, the um, just people, energy and e economy. So I wanted to go in there and, and actually know more about it. So I finished that degree and um, came to the United States for civil and environmental engineering, specializing water resources. So it was very similar to what I studied before. Mm -hmm. And what made you decide to come to the United States to do that uh, additional degree? 
I always wanted to get an advanced degree. So um, actually, I, I did have opportunities to do that in China as well as coming here. But I always wanted to have a broader view of where the, you know, the industry is going and also what people are doing in other parts of the world. How do they deal with their issues? How, how do they do solve these engineering you know, challenges? And uh, obviously, United States has the most advanced technology and I wanted to learn more about that and I wanted to learn the culture here as well. So it was just a really nice adventure for me to kind of get into and learn about it. And I love staying here, so I stayed. <laughs> So I know you did your your master's degree at Marquette. Did you have any maybe mentors uh, for that degree that kind of influenced um, what you studied, your decision to go into industry afterwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I consider myself being really, really lucky. I've had a lot of really great mentors throughout my career, throughout my school. So one of my first, I would say, people that influenced me quite a bit was my advisor back in China, I did my senior project with him. He did his degree in Germany and went back to China, became a very well-known researcher and professor. And he really encouraged me to explore the rest of the world and to look at, you know, um, how people do different things in different parts of the world. And he introduced me to actually this uh, professor at Marquette University who became my advisor. So my professor in, in Marquette University also had done a lot of great things too kind of guide me through study and also picking my career and the direction that I wanted to go. And we've actually maintained as friends all these years. I still talk to him and work with him on different things. So it's been a really great journey to kind of learn different things and at the different stage of my life from him and others. I would say one thing that might have helped more was before I got into um, the industry or my career, it would have been nice if I had had mentors that give me more perspective of what it's like working in the private industry versus what it's like working in the research world. You know, what are pros and cons and how does that play into your work-life balance and your long-term career goals and your personal development goals? Had I had the, you know, eyes wide open with all the information available as much as possible anyway, it, it would have given me just a little bit more clear direction. But again, I think I fell into the right place, mm-hmm. kind of an accident, and it worked really well for me. But mm-hmm. for, you know, most of other people, I think it would really help to have that information available before making a career choice. Sure. So what would you say are the major differences between more of a research position versus an industry position based on the experiences that you've had in your career? Certainly, there are a lot of uh, differences. I would say one of them is the pace of work in the private industry. You know, things are, especially I came from the consulting industry, mm-hmm. everything is kind of measured by the time. So you really have to gain efficiency. You are constantly measured by the efficiency that you do and the quality of the work you do. Um, I mean, that's universal. Quality of the work you do is universal. But, you know, there in the private industry, things are measured by the the budget and schedule. You have a very, very stringent rules on those kind of things. In the academic world, you're doing a lot of research that are highly risky. Some of the things may not work out. So you take your time and you put a lot of emphasis in details, making sure you don't miss anything. And there's, I would say, for me, it feels like there's a little bit less 
pressure on just getting things done quickly. Uh, you want to make sure you get things done right. So the emphasis is a slightly different and your end goal is slightly different because you're not always looking for product, product that are gonna be used in the real life if some things may not work out. So you have to have that kind of risk-taking mindset in the academic world. So I'm at a point, um, and I think Michelle is also, because <laughs> she's graduating, yeah. uh, I'm an undergrad <laughs> student who's a junior, so I have a couple more years, um, of deciding whether we kind of go into industry or continue to go on to get a, another degree beyond yeah. an undergraduate one. Did you have any factors after your master's? Did you ever consider like going on to do a PhD? Um, or did you think that you wanted to go directly into industry? So that's a good question. Um, when I was in grade school, I would say, at that time, I feel like, oh, it's really cool to get a PhD and be a researcher and do a, you know, do a degree as high as possible. Then once I got into college, I really felt that I was more attracted to the practical side of things. I want to see projects where I can see and feel and point to people and say, I built that, I designed it, versus, you know, I may have to spend years and years in the research lab and having to also deal with the consequences where certain research doesn't materialize or can be proven to be ineffective or inaccurate. You have to do something different. I just feel like I, I'm more into the, the practical side of things. So at that point, I kind of feel um, having a master's degree is very beneficial. It gives me more in-depth um, background. However, having the PhD degree may not necessarily fulfill my personal goals of being able to make a more of a more tangible or direct or faster impact to the things I care about. You were in industry for like 20 years, correct? Almost 20 years, yeah. Wow. Um, so what influenced your decision to come back to the more academic or the management of the academic side of it? I think there are many, many different aspects of it. Since I was in industry for very, very long, I felt like in a way we're a little bit siloed. I was in the hydro industry and the hydro industry has, you know, we had professional societies and we have a really nice gathering of people. But the different industries, like even between hydro and wind and solar or bioenergy, we are a little bit kind of like living in our own world. There's not enough cross-industry collaboration or just cross-pollination of people or expertise. And I feel like we could have done better if we could pull all the industries together and also I could have um, influenced policies to make them collaborate more. So I started thinking a couple of years back whether I could get into a career track where I can make more impact on the more upstream position, like where I can impact um, policies or public outreach, um, public education, things like that. So that's when I started thinking about, okay, maybe the academic world or a nonprofit world would fulfill that part of my personal desire to make a greater impact to the community as a whole mm -hmm. and pull different parts of the world and different industries together. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of started thinking about um, switching my career path. Mm -hmm. Are there any points where being a woman or um, anything else you identify as uh, kind of influenced or changed your perspective on your career and maybe your choices in your career? 
don't say wouldn't have changed my choice in my career. However, um, I did experience um, a lot of challenges sometimes, I would say. Sometimes it's kind of an advantage to me, but certainly um, it is a different experience. Um, so I would make an example, for example, when I first started working as a junior engineer at this consulting firm, um, which hadn't hired any young engineer for a long time, and I was the only female engineer in the Department of Water Resources. So when I first started, um, my mentor said to me, he said, you're obviously smart. You can do a lot of great things. However, there are two things that are go going to go against you, and you have to work hard against it. One is that you're a woman because this is a man-dominated industry, and you have to work harder to prove yourself. And secondly, you look too young. Again, this industry has a lot of senior people with a lot of years experience. If you don't have gray hair, people don't take you as seriously. At, when I first heard about it, I thought he was joking. I didn't really take it very seriously. And later on, I really, really felt that with my personal experience. Sometimes, for example, there was once I went to a meeting with my boss I was at that time managing multi-million dollar projects. I had 10, 15 years around my belt. But when we went into the room, I was the only female in the whole room. And the client, that was the first time the client met me. And the client was just talking to my boss the entire time. Didn't even look at me for more than five seconds. And he probably just thought I was just one of the young engineers sitting there taking notes and listening to other people. Then we started talking about some specific issues related to my technical expertise. So I started offering my perspective and some suggestions. All of a sudden I just saw his eyes just like brighten up and said, oh, here's someone who actually knows something. I never thought she had a value here. It, it was just me feeling from his facial expression. And then later on, I did find out he actually called the other, called my boss and said, hey, I was very impressed with Ying. She actually knows a lot of stuff. She's very bright. But that was a complete flip of attitude from the beginning to later part of the meeting. Mm -hmm. Whereas I felt like if I was a man or looked older, the attitude probably would have been less drastic. So it was just very interesting. So I certainly feel kind of the glass ceiling over a lot of women engineers in my industry. Mm -hmm. um, and to you, how do we kind of crack that glass ceiling, um, especially for young female engineers like myself who might be going out maybe into the workforce within the next five or 10 years? Tricks that you've managed to, to establish over the years that have worked to make people recognize your um, your benefit to certain projects or your expertise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly there are things you can do. I think there are some external forces and there are some internal forces that uh, you can work on. Um, I would say ex external forces are the mentors that you can really leverage to help you build those kind of abilities and confidence and, and help you get more recognized. So certainly my first advice is to Find a good mentor or more, more than one, uh, where you work or people in the industry that kind of have similar experience growing up in the, in the industry. 
or people who just have more broader view and better vision of what the industry is like, who can help you and help you find your place, help you build that confidence. The internal side of things, I would say, you got to feel comfortable with yourself. Tell yourself, I can do it, right? That confidence is really the key for you to stand out and feel comfortable to be in front of people. There, there was a friend um, that told me, there has been a research that was done. A man look at a job posting. They would apply for a job if they are 60% qualified for what the posting was looking for. However, a, wom- a woman would be overqualified in order to feel comfortable to apply for the job. So I see that very clearly mm-hmm. through my own lens and my own experience. I would say you have to overcome that. Acknowledge that there's that difference and tell yourself, I can do it and I'm good at this. Therefore, I should feel comfortable to advocate for myself to apply for these positions. Give yourself that opportunity to network with people. Mm. Participate in professional societies. What's the most important is how women, or if you have a different identity, you present yourself to the other people. Make them aware of your value. Make them aware of you as you, right? So the self-representation, I think it's very, very important. One thing that I feel that's very core to my own value is how I can impact people around me, how I can impact the community, whether through my technical work to help build a hydro project in Africa, for example, to have people that don't have access to electricity have a better life. And another one is to help other younger professionals grow in their own professions by mentoring them and support them. So that that's really, really important for me. For example, I've been involved in this uh, organization called Midwest Hydro Users Group for the last, I would say, close to 20 years. And this group uh, is primarily consisted of the hydro professionals in the Midwest region. And even till today, I would say I'm one of maybe two non-Americans, non-white people in in the organization. And at first, it, it, it was a little intimidating. You're in the room with 100 men. Maybe there are a handful of women. And then I'm the only minority in there. It was a little little intimidating. But over time, you know, you, you develop that comfort level. And people are really nice. Those people are, are phenomenal. I, I love those people. And that's why I've been staying with this organization. And I actually ran for the board of directors a few years ago. And when I went on the stage to give my speech for the election, I said, we have 120 people sitting in this room. And I could count the number of women with two hands. And I said, my first goal to be on the board is to help increase the diversity. Mm-hmm. And if three years from now, we can still count the number of women with my two hands and my two feet, I'm not doing a good enough job. So that's my number one goal. That's my priority here. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I feel comfortable enough to say this and to do this. Mm-hmm. And I succeeded. Mm-hmm. And I think we're in a much better place today. What methods did you, did you employ uh, to increase diversity in this organization? I think first one is to send that signal that mm-hmm. we have women that are in leadership roles. This organization has been around for 40 years. 
And until about three years ago, we did not have a female president. So the time I was in, we had seven board members and three of us were women, which was a big improvement from before. It wasn't by design, it was just because the industry is very men dominated. You know, most of the people in the organization were men. So that was just what happened. And then all of a sudden we had three women that stood up and wanted to run for the board. And, you know, the people voted for us and we had almost half of the board consisting of women and one of them became the president. And that just sends a really positive signal to the professions. And we did a lot of just good work to talk with other women and encourage people. And also through the women in the hydropower mentorship program, we really reached out to people and promoted, you know, their their value in the industry. I know GLBRC has a mentorship program. And it's kind of aligning with what you just said. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that and how you kind of started it? Yeah. So I'm, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about mentorship. I think that's really the key to help anybody grow in this age. So before I came to GOBRC, I was part of the Women in mentor, uh, Hydropower Mentorship Program for years. I actually still am. I was on the steering committee for a couple of years until I joined the GOBRC. And I just feel like that's really a nice platform. And it was extremely effective. And actually, when I interviewed with the GOBRC position, I feel like that was one of the key things they're looking for, for this position anyway. So it was a really perfect alignment with what I wanted to do and what GOBRC is looking for. So it was kind of just a very natural thing. When I came here the first day, I said, let's, uh, you know, start a program. Let's think about how we can get this started. So uh, luckily, I was able to borrow a lot of the experience from the other mentorship program. And they also shared a lot of materials with me. And that kind of got me kickstarted. And of course, we customize it to fit what we have here at GOBRC. Yeah, that's how we started. And we had, you know, 40 some applicants for the first round. So we consider that as a pretty good uh, success. Oh, that sounds pretty successful to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And if people wanted to get involved with that, should they reach out to you? Or you said there's an application? Yeah. So. We try to run in a somewhat structured way. So it goes from September through May. That kind of lines up with the semesters when people mm-hmm. are actually on campus and available. So every every um, August-ish, we'll come out with application open calls and people can sign up. But we try to do kind of a one-on-one match so we can make sure that people's needs and you know their, their criteria are, are being met. So we actually have people put in different criteria and, and their goals. So we'll match the mentor and mentee that have common interest areas together. Can I jump in here for a second? What are the things that you prioritize, like emphasizing as a mentor? Like what do you um, tell your mentees or like what do you want them to know? So I would say, you know, the very important thing for me as a mentor is to be a good listener, not a good teller, because everybody's life goals are different and their situation is different. So I don't tend to tell people what to do. Um, I first listen to them, listen to their situations and listen to their their concerns, their uh, worries, and and then ask some good questions just to help them think through 
what their situation really is like and what they really care about. So a lot of times without me offering a specific suggestion, they kind of figured it out as we walk through those questions together. So I think be a listener and being a supporter is really the most important aspect of being a mentor. Is there anything you would like to see changed in the future for women in your field? Also, one of the bigger struggles I've had in my personal professional experience is the lack of flexibility. When women have family, have kids, Mm -hmm. it comes with a lot of responsibilities. And sometimes there's conflict between work and family. And just that acknowledgement, you know, it's getting better, but it wasn't quite where it needs to be, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. One thing that I see is that women are very good multitaskers. And that ability needs to be acknowledged more. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people see women having to do kids' duties or have to work from home, then they tend to think, oh, they're not being as productive. But as a matter of fact, I think a lot of us are very good at being productive. So I think acknowledgement of that ability and also providing the flexibility to accommodate the family responsibilities of women Mm -hmm. is very important. That's going to lead me into something else I wanted to discuss with you is work-life balance. How do you, uh, in your life, balance your position with maybe um, your personal life? And are there points at which that's conflicted? And how did you handle that? I would say I'm not the best person to talk about work-life balance because I don't think I have achieved a perfect work-life balance yet. I continue to try, and I, I, I think I'm making progress. Also, one thing that's really key to work-life balance is prioritization. Mm-hmm. We all have thousands of things going on. We all have you know, responsibilities on top of each other, and we just need to, at any given point of your life, any given time of the day, you need to constantly prioritize what's most important. So what I like to do, uh, I've been doing for years, is that I have a list of things, either in my mind or on the paper. Every day on my way to work, when I'm driving, I'm thinking about, okay, here are all the things I need to do. What's the most important one? So I make kind of an order of the day, and I will go you know, through by order in the day. And then when there are bigger conflicts, I do the same thing. I go through the big things in my life and figure out what's most important in this stage of my life. Therefore, I'll make a compromise for the other things that are lower on the priority list. Something that has come up a lot in our interviews is the importance of representation. Um, whether it's in in industry or academia. And um, your background is interesting because you're an immigrant, Mm -hmm. um, like coming to a new country. I wonder, like, did you have representation in the field that you were going into? Or was there anyone that was on the path ahead of you that you could relate to? Actually, not really. It was an interesting experience how I came here, but um, what really happened was that I didn't know anybody here. I didn't have a 
known acquaintance or in any student that had been here um, before me that I knew that I could suggest I'll get advice from. So I didn't really have a role model to go by, but I just always felt fairly comfortable with my identity. I'm fine, you know, just walking on the street. I, you know, I acknowledge that I look different um, than some of the most of the people on the street. I maybe carry an accent. It's fine. I may have to ask more questions because I don't understand how banking works or how certain things work. I just ask questions. I feel comfortable asking questions. And I feel comfortable acknowledging that, okay, I don't know this word you have to tell me um, because, you know, I'm not a native English speaker. So just having that comfort level with yourself. I think another aspect which I have not touched on is the empathy side. You know, it, it, it comes with your natural personality, but it also comes with the um, desire to be a good leader, to be a supportive leader. And don't put yourself over the people you work with. You actually really put yourself under the people that you, you, wa- you want to support. So have the empathy and relate their personal experience with your, your own personal experience. Constantly put yourself in other people's shoes and genuinely really care about what they're, what they're experiencing, what they need to um, solve. That, so I'm not pretending or forcing myself to, um, to do something for them. I really want to. I want to do that for them. So it's like being a mother or being a sister, like I said. I just want to be that person to help you resolve your problem. And as a result, I grow and myself too, and I learn things myself from this experience. Just being a parent really cultivated that sense of empathy, sense of responsibility. And um, that really helped me carry that sense of responsibility into my, my job, my role here. I was wondering what your thoughts on our conversation were. Her advice on mentorship was really practical. Mm-hmm. Um, and also something that, yeah, everyone could use in their own lives. And same with her um, views on self-confidence. I really liked her one story in particular, the one where she was the youngest and only woman in the room. And she like used that to her advantage almost, where she took people by surprise. And I think that's a really great perspective. Like she walked away from that experience not feeling alienated, which is I, I think you could like another way that could have gone, but really like taking away from it that like your identity can be something that is advantageous to you. You can surprise people and have them learn that who you who you present yourself as doesn't define your skills and abilities. Yes. And the fact that she recognized that that was happening, but there were no negative emotions associated with it. It was more like, okay, this is who, who I am. This is, I know my abilities mm-hmm. and here, let me show you rather than just getting upset or angry about it. And I think that her ability to do that stems from her self-confidence, like yes, she said. Absolutely. And having had those mentors that made her aware of the 
the fact that that might occur in her field. So like she said earlier, uh, having your eyes wide open about these kinds of things is sort of a, a power in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And speaking of power, uh, here is Yi Ying's superpower. I would say my superpower is to help people acknowledge their, their own superpower, their own potentials. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> this is the leadership we need. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I'm you know, not just saying this, I'm doing this. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely think you are. I'm sure, I'm sure that the people who work for you think that. Well, um, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, guys. Here. This has been a great experience, and we've learned so much. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm really glad. And again, you know, I learned a lot from you guys, too. And, um, and really good luck with the rest of the interviews. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our show today. We're your hosts, Meg Riker and Michelle Chung. The show was produced by us and Mark Griffin and edited by myself and Mark Griffin. Thanks again to our guest, Yiying Zhang, the Associate Director of the Great Lakes Bioenergy Research Center. And see you next time on Propelling Women in Power. Mm-hmm.